Hello and welcome to Deltec Markets Monday for the 25th of January 2016. Good morning to those in the Americas, good afternoon to those in Europe and good evening to those in Asia. We just request that everyone please mute their lines so we don't have any background noise on the call. If everyone could please mute their lines uh, and we will open it up to Q&A later. Uh, today we'll get to be going through our usual agenda. Firstly, looking at investment markets over the last week. A week of stabilisation uh, where we saw markets across uh, risky assets stabilised somewhat, but that is tentative at best. Secondly, we'll touch on the economic data that we saw over the past week and some of the highlights at this very important time for the outlook for global growth. Thirdly, we'll touch on the outlook for the coming week and what we'll be focused on. Uh, fourthly, we'll touch on our investment idea for this week, which is a part of our Deltec Outlook series, uh, looking at the United States, especially given the recent concerns regarding uh, the potential for a recession. And finally, we'll cover off on our uh, latest investment positioning. So looking at investment markets over the past week, uh, ultimately we saw stabilisation, but it was a very volatile week uh, where the market at its points on Wednesday uh, was down over 3.5%. Uh, we saw stabilisation due to really a combination of two things. Firstly, investor capitulation, and secondly, we just saw policymaker comments from the People's Bank of China and the European Central Bank, and to a certain extent the Bank of Japan as well, uh, really looking for the potential to increase liquidity conditions and stabilised conditions uh, over the coming months uh, from a liquidity perspective. At the moment, tactical indicators are stretched to the downside. Now that suggests that risk assets may continue to bounce over the coming weeks. If we look at the performance over the past week, in equities, developed markets outperformed emerging markets as we ultimately saw stabilisation. Uh, the best performing developed market was uh, Japan, which was up by almost 6%. Of course, it was one of the worst impacted over the past month, declining by 12.6% over the past, uh, sorry, 10% over the past month. In emerging markets, the best performing market was uh, that of the Czech Republic, which was up by 3%, uh, and we were seeing uh, still uh, you know, lackluster performances there out of some, some of the Latin American markets, especially so Brazil, despite the, the sharp increase in markets towards the end of the week, Brazil uh, really just only increased by 0.19%. So still some weakness persisting there in some of those more structurally impacted economies. Within fixed income markets, we saw investment grade outperform high yield and outperform developed market sovereign. Developed market sovereign really sold off after we'd seen a multi-week flight towards safety and investment grade uh, outperformed high yield credit, which continues to be negatively impacted by concerns regarding the uh, solvency of mining and energy companies in particular high yield credit, an area which we've been negative on, we've been short across our tactical portfolios and had a zero weight towards across all of Deltec's client portfolios under management. And within commodity markets, uh, we saw oil rally significantly up by 11%, uh, taking the monthly gain to 9%. Uh, that really led to complex higher. Iron ore was still a spot of weakness over the past week, declining by 1.6%. And finally, in currency markets, we saw the US dollar index uh, roughly flat, developed market FX rallied against the US dollar, but emerging market FX continued to decline. So some stabilisation in risk assets, but certainly not a definitive move to the upside. As mentioned, a number of the tactical indicators now stretch to the downside, so we are looking for markets to continue to bounce over the coming month, uh, but really we won't see a solid move upwards until we start to see growth momentum improve, which won't be towards the end of quarter one. Uh, for further details on our outlook for growth momentum and markets more generally, refer to our 
quarterly strategy outlook entitled Exit Strategies, which was published last week. Looking at some of the economic data over the past week, uh, we saw data below expectations in, uh, in Europe, Japan and China and slightly above in the US. Just some of the highlights. In the US, we were really looking at the housing data over the past week. We saw the data mixed. Building permits was above expectations. Existing home sales reported one of the strongest increases in existing home sales in December that we'd seen for several months. But the NAHB housing market index and, uh, and more importantly the future expectations of housing market activity from that NAHB survey were a little bit weaker. So we remain positive on the housing sector certainly from a medium term perspective. In the short term we're still looking for buy, buying opportunities uh, but we think there'll be better buying opportunities uh, in the months ahead rather than right now for US housing. Looking at Europe, the data was below consensus expectations, but that's really coming off the back of a strong few weeks of data. We still see Europe has continued to expand uh, economic activity progressively. Importantly, over the week, we saw the ECB come out, reaffirm their stance on quantitative easing, and actually point towards the, the potential for an increase in their quantitative easing program in March, uh, which would, would provide further stimulus to the region. So we're still positive on Europe. It still represents a 30% allocation across our tactical portfolios. Finally, in China, uh, data was below consensus expectations. Property price data uh, improved slightly, but against that industrial production, consumption, investment and broad economic growth data was below expectations in China. So we remain negative on that economy. So data generally, uh, generally weaker uh, with the exception of some of the US data which is stronger. The US remains our preferred region from a tactical perspective. In the coming week, uh, there's really just a few data highlights. In the US, uh, we've got further housing data out in terms of new home sales data and house price data. That again will be key to our housing call, which represents approximately 13% of our tactical portfolios. Uh, as well as that, the all-important monetary policy decision from the FOMC, uh, that comes out this week. And that will be key, really, to the outlook for markets, because we're expecting the Fed to come out with a more dovish stance uh, guide still towards rates increasing this year, uh, but certainly mindful of some of the market volatility that we've seen and what has been the weakest start to a year for investment markets ever. So we're expecting the Fed to really add stability to markets, which is why, again, why we think the market should bounce in the near term. Uh, in Europe, we've got uh, a confidence data which will be out, which will be important, and in China, we have uh, the industrial profits data, which will be key as well to the outlook for the market. Uh, so some important data points there this week. Key to the outlook though, US housing and US monetary <laughs> policy. Now if we turn our attention to our investment idea for this week, uh, it's a part of our Deltec Outlook series looking at the US and it's an updated excerpt from our quarterly strategy outlook which was published last week. The reason we've decided to focus on the US is there's been so many calls of the US potentially uh, entering a recession based on the market movements that we've seen in the first three weeks of this year. Uh, a lot of people are coming out saying that the markets are forecasting and really starting to price in, the, in a recession. So we thought it was worth updating uh, our clients and contacts with the outlook for the US. What we will say about the US is that growth momentum is currently weak, but the economic expansion remains firmly on track and actually continues to broaden across the economy. Rising real incomes are bolstering consumption and alongside lower interest rates that's supporting housing. Industrial production weakness born from global conditions is approaching a turning point whilst CapEx is inconsistent but does contain the greatest potential for the coming decade. 
So let's look across those four areas of the economy, consumption, housing, industrial production or manufacturing, and investment. If we look at the consumption outlook, consumption is really driven by two things. Firstly, incomes. The second is asset prices. If we look at the outlook for incomes, on slide seven of the investment research, for those who have received it today, on slide seven, the top panel shows that leading indicators of wages are consistent with 35 to 4% wages growth over the next year. That's the strongest rate of wages growth at a nominal level than we would have seen since the early 2000s, so for almost 15 years. That's an incredibly strong outlook for nominal wages in the nominal incomes in the US. As well as that, we can see that from a real income perspective, we're going to see growth as well. If you refer to slide 12, you can see that gasoline prices have declined significantly over the past year reflecting the change that we've had in oil prices. So if you combine the 35 to 4% nominal income growth with 1% to 2% boost that consumers get from lower gasoline prices, we're looking at about 5.5% at best, or at least 4% real income growth, which is the strongest real income growth that US consumers would have seen in over a decade. That's an incredibly bullish environment for the US consumer. Now, although interest rates are moving up and we continue to believe that the Fed is going to tighten this year at a pace more aggressive than what the market's currently pricing in, we do see that the US consumer has plenty of savings. On slide 11, we can see that the savings rate has been restored uh, to pre-financial crisis levels and actually to the levels that we have seen uh, going back to the year 2000. So again, around the strongest levels of savings rates that we've seen in about 15 years, the strongest level of real income growth that we've seen in over 10 years. If we look at the rest of the household balance sheet on the bottom panel of slide 11, you can see that the household balance sheet is made up primarily of uh, real estate and equities. Now, although equities have been weak over the past three weeks, we're still looking at equities as having recovered significantly since the bottom of the financial crisis. As well as that, house prices have increased quite markedly since the depths of the financial crisis as well. So the household balance sheet is in very strong shape. That leads the US consumer again in a very strong position. Next, if we turn our attention to housing, we've got all of the benefits of strong income growth which benefit the potential homeowner. And as well as that, if we look at housing affordability on slide 14 of the pack, we can see that housing affordability is still very cheap. And if we look at some of the leading indicators of housing starts, such as the number of people who are uh, taking out home loans, which is shown on the bottom panel of page 14, we can see that it's consistent with a strong rise in house prices, sorry, in, in housing activity over the coming year. So all of the leading indicators of housing from a short-term perspective are looking good, as well as that on slide 17, we can see that demographics are incredibly favourable. We've got what's called the second echo of the baby boomer generation, which is about to come through. Uh, and the first echo of the baby boomer generation is at the point right now where they're looking to buy houses. That is between the ages of about 24 and 35. Uh, in the key uh, house buying demographic. So demographic tailwinds are supporting housing from a medium term perspective as well. Also an interesting other point is that it's almost been seven years since the depth of the financial crisis or the peak of home foreclosures. Now in most economies, and the US is included in this, uh, people's credit scores effectively reset after seven years. So we're coming to the point in late 2016 and early 2017 where people will effectively have a clean credit record and they can go back to the bank and ask for a loan. So we've got strong real income growth, we've got low rates, and we've got demographic tailwinds, which is why we're also positive on the US housing sector. 
Now some of the weak areas of the U.S. Industrial production. Now industrial production is a weak spot in the U.S. right now and when we talk about industrial production we're really talking about manufacturing. The top panel of slide 18 shows that the ISM new orders data has been declining fairly consistently over the past several months. But if we look at page 19, the top panel shows the rolling balance between the ISM new orders minus inventories, which is a very good leading indicator of the industrial production cycle, is at a point where it typically troughs. We don't typically see this cycle go below right now. In fact, the only time in the last 30 years that we've seen it happen is in the financial crisis, and that was due to a credit crunch which is something we're certainly not expecting and it's not in any of our forecasts. So if we're looking at the industrial production outlook, yes, it's very, very weak right now, but it is close to a point where we would expect it to bottom. Finally, if we look at the CapEx part of the economy, CapEx is very weak in the energy sector. Page 20, uh, the top panel shows that capital expenditure related to oil and energy has dropped off a cliff, uh, which is what one would expect when oil prices decline. But we see capital investment as being the single best opportunity, not only across the US economy, but also globally. Productivity growth in the US is very low right now. On the top panel of page 21, we can see that productivity growth is basically the weakest point it's been in the last 60 years. There's two ways to improve productivity. One is cutting wages, but we know that US wages are actually going up. It was the first point we raised. The other way is by investing in productive assets. Now, U.S. investment share of GDP is about one standard deviation below the trend. That is, U.S. corporates have underinvested, and for the better part of a decade, they've underinvested. That is, they haven't undertaken capital investment. Now, that second way of increasing productivity growth is by investing in productive assets. So, we say the, the only way of increasing productivity growth in the U.S. is by corporates increasing their capital investment, which they haven't done for a decade. Now, corporates certainly have the means to invest corporate free cash flows on page 25 of the presentation. Corporate free cash flows are consistent with an approximate 5 to 10% increase in uh, capital expenditure over the next year, as well as that corporates have the need to invest because we can see that for the better part of a decade they've underinvested. So the CapEx cycle at the moment is uh, fairly sporadic. We haven't seen it consistently increase, but it is something that can really drive the medium and longer term recovery for the US economy. So we are looking at CapEx-related stocks such as technology that form a part of our tactical portfolio. So the US represents uh, the biggest part of our tactical portfolios. We're positive on the outlook. We think these calls of a recession are almost entirely unfounded. There's still the potential for the contagion of emerging market weakness to enter the US via the financial system, but we believe that policymakers are well-placed to counter uh, some of those risks, and the underlying drivers of growth in the US, consumption, housing especially, continue to improve. So we're positive on the US economy. In terms of looking at our tactical and uh, the tactical investment positioning uh, right now, we updated the, the positioning uh, last week with the public publication of our quarterly uh, outlook. Uh, our tactical investment positioning, positioning remains geared towards equities. We're positive on developed market equities and have a preference for developed market equities over cash and liquids, followed finally by fixed income. Uh, within equities, we have a preference for the US and Europe within those developed markets, and we remain short emerging markets. Within fixed income, we have a preference for sovereigns and investment grade, and we are negative towards high-yield credit, and as such, we have a short position towards high-yield credit. And across real assets, we wouldn't really be investing in any real assets right now, uh, but for what it's worth, we're also uh, short on the commodity spectrum 
both looking at industrial metals but also gold miners right now. So that's it for our tactical investment positioning and again our investment idea for this week, stay, po stay positive on the US economy. I'll leave it there and open it up to any questions. Any questions from the room? Yeah, Atul, uh, the post-political season in the US, do you see that having any impact, uh, Republic versus Democrat, Trump versus Clinton, any dynamics there that could impact the economics or just regulate regulatory process in the US that could eventually impact? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Certainly as we move into presidential season, uh, our concerns about this will rise. Uh, we tend to have the view, and certainly over the past few years it's proven the case, that monetary policy tends to drive uh, cycles and smooth out cycles rather than fiscal policy. Fiscal policy was very important in crisis times, but when the economy is expanding, uh, it's, it's less of a concern. For sure we're getting a huge uh, tailwind out of the federal government um, this year because the, the federal government's actually increasing spending for the first time in a couple of years in the US, uh, so that's a positive. Uh, but really, we have the view that it's the private sector that's going to drive the economy through the cycle. The monetary policy comes to step in when cycles are weak, and fiscal policy comes in at times of crisis. This isn't a time of crisis, so we're less concerned. Uh, but certainly, the policies of both parties will be important as we move towards the election. So far, we've seen uh, a number of promises from uh, the Democrats. We've seen uh, a significant number of pro promises from the Republicans. Actually, at last count, there were 79 different uh, promises that, that uh, the Trump campaign had mounted, of which about 79 of which are um, kind of we can't foresee coming through in a realistic way. Um, so certainly that'll impact market sentiment, market psyche as we move closer to it. But we can't see it dramatically altering our outlook for the U.S. economy, uh, save obviously a, you know a, 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 an outlier type event occurring, but that's not in our forecast. By, by definition. Any other questions from the room? Any questions from the phone line? Uh, Atul, yes, I have a question for you. I've seen that the Italian banking index has been 18% down this year, that their non-performing loans amount to over $280 billion. Could Italy trigger the next European financial crisis? Okay, so there's been a lot of concern about Italian banks. Uh, we do have some exposure to uh, Italian banks, specifically commercial banks within our tactical portfolios. So we've been following this issue quite closely. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric around Italian banks and their, and their uh, level of non-performing loans or bad debts. The reason there's been a lot of talk about it is Italy as a government is actually looking towards splitting up their banking sector and creating what's called a bad bank. So that would effectively ring fence a lot of those non-performing loans and allow the better parts of the banking system to actually go on and lend and foster an economic recovery. So yes, the level of non-performing loans is bad right now, but there's two things we note. Firstly, they're going to ring fence those non-performing loans, uh, which will actually protect the banking system rather than har uh, uh, harm it. Secondly, whenever you start to see an economic recovery or even an economic stabilisation, non-performing loans stop rising and they actually start to fall. And that's the single best time to be a bank investor. Why? Because a lot of these banks have provision for a continued increase in non-performing loans. So if they stop increasing, or in fact if they start to decrease, they can wind back a lot of those provisions, which means a significant capital release and capital return back to shareholders in the form of higher dividend payments and indeed sometimes in the form of share buybacks and capital returns. Uh, we believe we're at that point. We have the view that uh, the commercial bank that we're exposed to across our tactical portfolios actually has the potential to surprise on the upside with their dividend over the next uh, week when they report results. 
so from a banking system perspective, I think it really is, it's a lot of noise. Um, yes, it, it always has the potential to uh, have a negative impact on economic growth, but in this scenario, we actually think it's a buying opportunity. Uh, what we'd be more concerned about with regards to the banking system is the potential for contagion out of emerging markets into the European financial system. But that is, again, why we're firmly exposed towards domestic commercial banks uh, within Europe rather than those which have global operations exposed to Latin America and other parts of the emerging market complex. As well as that, we note that the, the ECB in their comments last week came out with a very dovish stance. They'll continue to inject liquidity, which will not only support the uh, broader economic recovery, but liquidity first and foremost positively impacts the banking system. They're the primary, primary recipients of liquidity. Uh, so that would be an additional benefit if we do indeed see additional stimulus brought in in March. And your view on Greece? Could Greece get out of the euro this year? I've been reading that lately. Quite yeah, look, uh, I mean, there's always a potential for Greece to get out of the euro, but uh, all of the latest updates from Greece indicate that they're on track. Uh, they've reduced their debt, but you know, there's been haircuts which have been taken on debt. Uh, all reports are that they're on track uh, to meet those continued payments. But uh, as you know, we've seen this game before, and there's always the potential for Greece to relapse. Uh, into some of the malaise that we saw in 2015 or indeed in 2014-13 or 2012. Uh, but uh, at this stage, everything looks on track. And even when we take a step back and say, okay, what happens if Greece does relapse? Greece represents less than 25 basis points of mm -hmm. global industrial production. It's just such a small economy uh, within the global scheme of things. We're, you know, we're really more concerned about China, which is 25% of global industrial production. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the phone line? Okay, thanks everyone for your time. Uh, if you do have any follow-up queries, please feel free to contact either myself or your Deltec representative. Again, if you want a copy of today's research or last week's Deltec quarterly global strategy outlook, uh, please feel free to contact me. Other than that, have a great week. We look forward to a further stabilisation in markets and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Thank you. Thank you.